Welcome to From AMIA to Armistice, a series of podcasts commissioned by UCL Institute of Education. I'm Simon Bendry, Director of the UCL Institute of Education's First World War Centenary Battlefield Tours Programme. In August 2018, students from across the United Kingdom joined students from France, the United States, Canada and Australia on the Western Front to commemorate the Battle of Amiens. This series, recorded largely on location during that battlefield tour, tells the story of the Battle of Amiens in the wider context of the First World War and the road to armistice. In this podcast, we visit Moray Wood, the scene of a famous charge by the Canadian cavalry in March 1918 and fighting by the French 31st Corps at the Battle of Amiens in the August. So our first stop will be Moray Wood, to your right, that large uh, patch of woodland, and the memorial that we're going to do our stand at is immediately in front of us on the uh, left-hand side. We're now moving on to the battlefield of the 8th of August, right down south in the French sector. The reason we brought you down here this morning is twofold. It is one, to look at what happened here exactly 100 years ago this morning. But it is also to work out how the war actually came to be here. Now yesterday, with your groups, you were looking at the Somme Offensive of 1916, how the fighting came to be there. Following that offensive, there's a large-scale German withdrawal from that part of the line to new defensive positions in the spring of 1917. And therefore, in effect, the fighting had moved away from this region and had set off 40 miles in that direction, out to what you can see is this solid blue line on your map. But in the spring of 1918, as a result, partly of the Russian Revolution and the war finishing on the Eastern Front and therefore freeing up German troops, partly as a necessity to act before the American Expeditionary Force arrives in very large scale on the Western Front, the Germans will launch another attempt at smashing through the Allied lines, their spring offensives. And these purpley coloured bits on this map show the impact of those offensives. And that forces the Allies to retreat on this part of the line, best part of 40 miles. This is how the fighting returns to this area in the spring of 1918. In March of 1918, this will become a very significant Canadian battlefield. It becomes very famous for a cavalry charge. The cavalry by 1918 have become useful again. Much of the First World War, we think how ridiculous, men on horseback fighting in a war, certainly on the Western Front, dominated by the trenches. But moving away from the trenches, Cavalry suddenly come back into their own. Troops able to move quickly around the battlefield to shore up defence. And that's how they're used in the spring of 1918. All across this sector and through these areas around the woods, the cavalry are being used, British, Canadian, Australian cavalry, to plug gaps, to halt German advances. And it's here that Canadian cavalry will launch their assault. Where did that cavalry charge take place? I'm Barney, I'm one of the guides on the tour. 
where we are now sits on a large open plain crossed by a road. Originally, the trees would have run all the way to the road, but today it's a stubbly field, the harvest is in, it's a beautiful day, but it would have been a very different place, both in August of 1918 and also when the Canadian cavalry effectively stopped the German advance here in April 1918. The wood is like a long finger of trees, probably about a mile long, quite deep as well, very thickly forested. Originally it would have been much thicker, so probably two-thirds wider. There are various small copses all around, and in those small copses would have been German defenders, and the Germans, when faced with the cavalry, would have headed into the woods for protection, set up their machine guns, their preferred form of warfare. So Flower Dew's charge comes across from the northern part of the wood as we see it, across the road and punches into the wood, but we're only looking at perhaps 120 men on horseback. And when you consider that they're taking three quarters losses, you're looking at 80 men and their horses. You can imagine the sound of the machine guns, the sound of the horses at high speed, pounding across the fields, the screams of the horses and the men, and it happened literally here, a hundred years ago, a few months back. Captain Flowerdew is recalled as saying, it's a charge, boys, it's a charge. There's the bugle call, cavalry go forward, swords drawn, lances ready, charging the German infantry to halt their advance in this sector. Flowerdew retakes the wood, the Germans counter-attack and take it back. Ultimately, the line will finish just beyond the wood. So, cavalry being used very effectively to halt that spring offensive, certainly on this part of the line. Anything to add, Hugh? Yeah, one of the striking things about this too is the German effectively don't have any cavalry by this stage of the war. And it matters for the first time, for exactly the reasons Simon said, just as it's an advantage for the Allies still to have cavalry, the Germans, when they're getting to the point of a breakthrough, have no cavalry to be able to sustain the momentum of the advance or to be able to bring troops quickly into position. And that's principally because they are suffering from shortages of fodder, foodstuffs, all the sorts of things that horses are incredibly dependent upon. And they have just dismounted too many cavalrymen. So whereas in 1914, they put 10 cavalry divisions into the attack here. Now they have virtually none to be able to exploit the opportunity. The other thing it's worth looking at when you go back to the situation map, if you look at the effect of those offensives between March and August, the Germans have extended the front line in a way that they cannot sustain. They lose about 900,000 men between the 21st of March and the 15th of July, 1918 and they're holding a much longer front with fewer men. So they are in an extraordinarily weakened position by uh, the summer of 1918. What we're gonna move on to is August 1918, a memorial to the 31st French Corps. Here, on the 8th of August, 31st French Corps are smashing through the German lines. The start of what is described as this period of 100 days, the 100 day offensive. I want you to take a look at that memorial and have a think about the makeup of these Allied armies in 1918. What can you learn from it? Mm. 
all the students are gathered around the base of the memorial looking at the names of the units. There are units of tanks and artillery and aircraft and infantry. Everyone is working together. So warfare has changed from being an affair of infantry attacking with perhaps some support of artillery into what we call combined arms warfare. You can get much more from a team. There it is, carved in stone. All arms warfare by 1918. Large scale infantry supported by tanks, cavalry, the air support, the artillery, all there working together to fight these battles. The learning that has taken place over four years is coming together. It is what modern soldiers would recognise today. We're now going to head north again to a place called Hamel, where we're going to take a look at how the Allies practised, in effect, for the action that would take place 100 years ago this morning. You have been listening to From Amiens to Armistice, a Chrome Radio production for UCL Institute of Education. The producer was Katrina Oliphant, with sound design by Chris Sharp. In our next podcast, we hear how, in July 1918, the Australian commander, Lieutenant General Monash, led a successful action at Le Amel, which was to act as a template for the Battle of Amiens a few weeks later.